This is Chris Angelus, and you're listening to Right at the Fork, our podcast about the Portland food scene. Thanks so much for joining us, and please feel free to share this podcast or our brand new website that our producer Heather Jones did such a wonderful job putting together uh, at rightatthefork.com. But of course, that will lead you to uh, and your friends to many places where they can hear the podcast. So thanks for joining us. Today is a really special one, as I think they all are. But in this case, uh, Ryan Roadhouse is our guest. And uh, Ryan does, I got to get the right pronunciation here the way he does it, not a good old um, pop. It's not even a pop-up anymore. He's over on Hawthorne in the pasta workspace, and he's doing wonderful coursed-out dinners. He does a, uh, a sushi dinner. Uh, he's actually doing them more than a couple of times a month now um, that I happened to go to right before I recorded this interview. Um, that was some of the best sushi you're going to get from around the world. Takes very good care in sourcing it. Uh, learned his craft uh, starting in Denver at uh, a few places, including Sushi Den. Ran um, a restaurant in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which brought him out to Portland, Oregon. He has cooked at Bamboo Sushi, and uh, or rolled at Bamboo Sushi. And now you can find him um, at notaguro.com, uh, where he has his events. And I s- highly suggest getting out there to uh, enjoy he also is, his dinners are very picturesque. The lighting is good, although I suggested a little darkening of the light. But still, now that it's good, you can take some great pictures of his food. And I started out this interview by asking him how he feels about being photographed all the time with his food and um, cooking it, being on stage. And that's how we uh, started our interview with Ryan Roadhouse. Well, how much of the dining experience now is ab- about enjoying it as you're going and how much of it is it for people to share and say, look where I am. I'm at, and I'm guilty of that. Yeah. I'm at Notogoro right now. Um, how much of that is going on, do you think? I don't know. I, I try not to analyze the, um, you know, the, the psyche of what's going on there, but I personally, I love it when people share. Mm-hmm. You know, online, I don't, I don't really worry about their intentions too much. Going on there, yeah. ancillary more. No, I, I love it for the, sh- for the, uh, the sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, because the thing is, we only have 13 seats. Mm-hmm. And so when you get into a lot of, like, you know, opinion polls and broad opinion, the, the thing is, the truth is, there's not that many people have, at this point that have even been there. Mm-hmm. So, and then when they do, there's, there's kind of a lot of little, the way it's set up, there's a lot of little hoops you have to kind of jump through to get there, right? So, so but that's we, part of the cachet of it all. It's great, we get great guests because of that, because right. you know they have to look at the date and they have to wanna come, right? It's not just like someone drags them over there and mm-hmm. allows spur of the moment. So I think we get great people. So I think that's the same thing as like sharing that. Um, the, the hope is that people see it and then maybe they feel a little more at ease with the whole thing. And you know, hopefully they like what they see. Yeah, I think, you know, I shared some of your dishes last night and I try to look at it from the standpoint of how are people going to perceive this? And I think this is nothing but good for Ryan because if anything is appealing at all, that's all of a sudden triggering a thought in their mind other than the, this, what they may read about you. Like before I'd been, I knew a guy named Ryan Roadhouse who's doing this thing called Notoguro. <laughs> everybody says it's great, but I don't have a picture of it. Yeah. And when you get a picture of it and you be, I think it, it helps yeah, people definitely. to understand and have expectations too. 
Yeah, expectations. I think that's the key thing I like about it is like when those photos go out, people, you know, people can have whatever kind of expectations they have coming in. And unfortunately, sometimes they think they're walking into like a new sushi bar or something like that, mm -hmm. which we're not. But, you know, last night, granted, we did do some sushi. Just but, a little bit. Yeah, for our <laughs> sushi omakase. But uh, generally, we're doing the sosaku ryori kind of like tasting menu thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that, like just saying that people, most people have no idea what that means and um, or what to expect. So when people are sharing photos of their experience, especially when they go like course by course mm -hmm. and it's out there, then people can look at that and then they can have a new set of expectations when they come in. And it's an endorsement too. Let's and it's an endorsement. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so let's go, let's come back to the, let's come back to Notoguro in a little bit, but I wanted to get you, find out how you got there, basically. How old are you? I am uh, 36. That's a great age. That was one of, that's also the age where I think that people make some decisions in life, where they're going. And it depends. Some people, it's a little younger and some okay. people. But 36 for me was a pretty good breaking off point. So you have a beautiful wife that you've been with for a while, right? right. How long yeah. have you been with Elena? Uh, nearly 10 years. 10 years. We have a girl who's eight and mm. a boy that's six. Two children. Two children, okay. yeah. Um, and those are interesting ages. Uh, oh, so yeah, they're great. From, I love them right now. Right. So four, five, <laughs> for about four or five years, and then, yeah. then you'll hit some new challenges. Um, and so how do you... Got you and, and Elena is an attorney, correct? That's right, yeah. So how do you guys juggle all that you do? I, for, for instance, this week you're going to get out at spring break for you. Uh -huh. Um, how do you do that and still have service this weekend? So you have to cut off everything that you normally do Monday through yeah. Wednesday. Well, I mean, first of all, cut up sleeping, you know. Yeah, okay. So who that. needs that? Yeah, we'll cut that out. Um, you know, supplement a little bit of uh, extra coffee, per se. Um, the, the biggest help is that her, her parents live with us. So her dad actually um, started out Nodoguro as my dishwasher. And uh, that was his position for a while, so I called him dishwasher and art director. Each time we did a new theme, he'd put up his he'd put up a painting, and watching his process is amazing because he's uh, he was an aircraft engineer, and uh, he you know I guess he, he obviously has the some art skills, but I walked back in his studio one night when he was designing our Murakami painting, and I found these little uh, graphs with like you know little graphs of the image there with mathematical equations next to him and things like that. So. Um, yeah, he's our like mathematical art art director, and we get more people into the act now. And he's not washing dishes any longer. He's not washing dishes right now because uh, when we're doing service, he's uh, watching the kids. Yeah, this trade offs. Her parents, you know, drive her insane. But at the same are they time... listening to this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you're not going to encourage yeah, that. No, it's fine. They can but yeah, they, they, any parents, they, any but any yeah. family living under the same roof, or, or any humans living under the same roof, yeah. same roof are generally going to drive others insane. So yeah, and her and her parents are lively, and you know they're opinionated. I guess probably like most, and uh, yeah, they drive her absolutely crazy. But the trade-off is they're you know it's great having them around, and they're they're big help for that. Super. So how did you how did you and Elena meet? <laughs> this is actually, uh, well, she has uh, you know I she, she tells the story from kind of the other perspective. For me, she came in. She was getting her LLM at DU, mm -hmm. and I was a chef at Sushi Den in Denver. Um, so she had finished up language school. Um, she's Russian as her first language. So she was actually already an attorney in uh, the Far East of Russia. Moved over. Uh, to the States, went to language school, made a bunch of friends. One of her friends was um, kind of a, a middle-aged gay man, 
So her version of the story was that the two... You didn't want to continue with yours? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I might as well just get to the real one. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So uh, the two of them came in. He ultimately uh, introduced us, but he had come into the restaurant, uh, you know, once before. And he'd been coming there for years, but he, then he'd, he'd noticed me. So I thought he was introducing me to his... Um, he, he described her as his Russian genius friend. But actually, apparently what was happening was that uh, she was his wingman in, uh, in to meet attempt, someone else. In attempt to meet me. Oh, to meet you? Yeah, so he was, I guess he was under the impression that, um, you know, I was flexible in that regard. That's and, a good way of putting it. <laughs> flexible in that regard. Yeah, and then what, what ended up happening was uh, instead, yeah, she became the, the key player there. Right, so how, long did, how did that happen? Is this, when... Throughout the dinner, what was, and then oh. when did you guys meet again? How did that work? Well, so, okay, so the way it worked was his idea, apparently she told me the evil plan was they, they would come in at the end of lunch service, and then they knew that I frequented the coffee shop across the street. Wow, I love this. So, yeah, there's a little, plan. little surveillance intel. <laughs> and uh, so the idea was that when lunch service would finish, um, they'd, they'd hang out, eat their lunch, and then be like, oh, you're on break now? Oh, do you want to just go grab a coffee or something? And then, so I would, uh, you know, I got a coffee and then went over there. And then I think from there, uh, they were trying to, well, he was trying to, like, feel me out a little bit, you know? And I think they couldn't really get a good vibe, like, either way. <laughs> because I just, whatever. Well, they weren't coming out and just asking. <laughs> right, right. So I think uh, the conversation um, went, that, went that direction. And, uh, you know, I just kind of flowed with whatever they're asking. It was pretty comfortable with what they were talking about either way. And, uh, but then for me, it was, I was very interested in this little uh, Russian genius friend. So, uh, you know, but she, you know, so I, I, they would come in again and I'd be like, oh, excited. I was like, oh, great, they're here again. But then I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, so then I would always kind of zoom in on her and, but yeah, she really wanted pretty much nothing to do with me. Was and, she taken uh, at the time? Did she, was she otherwise occupied? I, I would, yeah, I would, you could say, yeah, in, okay. yeah, in a sense. And, um. So some time went by, and then, you know, I'd see her, and then the whole thing would start again, and then, you know, she kind of, like, had more Jettis enough. Jettisoned yeah. the... Uh... Yeah, like, get out of here kind of thing. And then there was this extremely awkward um, uh, meetup where her and her friends had gone to brunch for her birthday uh, a couple doors down, and then they all decided to go get a coffee, at the, the coffee shop. The same the coffee street. shop. The same what was that coffee shop, shop, by the way? A Stella. Stella Coffee Stella, in Denver. Yeah. Stella Coffee. Okay. Um, and I happened to be working that morning across the street. It's like early morning, and I was working on a bunch of fish prep. And, uh, you know, I used to do a lot of thrift shopping. So I, I walked out just what I, what I was working on. Um, I had a pair of knee-high rubber boots on. I was wearing really tight, stretchy, uh, white polyester pants. Mm. And then maybe that's why he thought you were reflective <laughs> in that regard. And, well, and, and a faux fur coat. Oh, there you go. Because it was kind of snowy out. And then I walk across the street. I'm like a little bit self-conscious about this weird getup I have on. <laughs> but I was like, whatever, you know, I just need to get a thing. And then who walks in but her and her friends. And they're, you know, they're all Europeans, so they're super stylish and everything. Right. And they walk in and then... I don't know if they knew why, but like I saw them and I was dressed like this crazy clown. So I was, I think I was super awkward. I was like, oh, hey guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. And then 
um, talked for a minute, and then I like kind of scurried back across the street, and then apparently the conversation I went through some blue jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> no, I just got back to work. I was just trying not to think about it, but. Um, I guess the friend said, like, whoa, that was, like, the most awkward thing ever. What's going on, you know? And then she's like, I don't know. You know, and then I think she started telling that, you know, and, you know, that we'd met and, like, all this stuff. And they're like, I think you should call him and just, like, you know, see what that was all about. It was, like, super bizarre. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it that's started. An, that's an awesome get, because <laughs> you had to overcome a lot of obstacles to get to where you are now, right? I mean, yeah. there was the... It wasn't initially the plan, and then you're oh, no, dressed, and then you're and embarrassed, and she yeah. does. Wow, that's great. So, did you see at the t so you started? How did you guys have Portland in your sights? Uh, obviously, the story goes: you met, you fell in love, living yeah. together, I, I presume. Yeah, yeah. And then, how did you get to Portland from there? Well, um, I, I felt, I really like Denver. Felt like kind of like had become kind of like my hometown. Like, I was born in Illinois, my parents moved around a lot, I went to high school up in Canada, you know, this, that, the other, but for me, Denver was, like, the place I felt most rooted. I'd been there for, like, six or seven years, but, um, you know, and it's just my opinion, but as a chef and what I was doing, there was so much more I wanted to see and, and so much more I wanted to experience, um, and it's like, I just was, I never felt satisfied with that, you know, like, so the chef I was working with, I think, uh, working for Sense That, and he sent me to Japan, to do more training there and then then when I came back I think also kind of feeling that then he ended up making me the the head chef of his restaurant and then allowed him to kind of get more of a overs oversight role and think about opening other restaurants and things like that and so once again that created the experience for me to like grow continue to grow and then uh, there's this place we opened uh, called Urasawa end up getting two Michelin stars so I saw this place I was starting to follow a lot of like food blogs when they when those kind of started to begin in popularity so it was like Chuck Eats and uh, Shape Him you know and uh, Steve Plotnicki opinion about dining like those were the first ones that mm -hmm. that were kind of on my radar so uh, I saw this new place Urasawa and I saw the cuisine and I looked at it I was like this is like this is more like Japan you know this is more like Kaiseki this is some of the things I'm interested in so I sent the chef a letter um, I went out and essentially kind of staged with them for a while, just used a time off from, you know, I was like, felt a little complacent, took mm -hmm. a little time off from my job there, did that, and then came back and then felt like I learned a bunch of things about, you know, what works, what doesn't work, um, you know, just, but I was just always trying to stay excited, like, and then I was just kept wanting to learn and uh, expand. What was it about Japanese cuisine that really appealed to you? Because, you know, you're a med Midwest kid. Yeah. In Canada, it doesn't necessarily uh, point to this. This guy's going to be a great Japanese chef. <laughs> I have no. I really, looking back, I have no idea. I remember um, a couple, few times when I was a kid, my mom was into ethnic cuisine a bit. So she, usually, that for her though, she, like she introduced me to pho. When you know pho and like these kind of those Vietnamese banh mi and things like that. When mm -hmm. I was probably like seven or eight years old, where we live in, there's only like one or one or two of those type places. But like. We would go there, and uh, and I think it was like super cheap. You go, you get a bowl of pho. It's like four dollars, and mm -hmm. but it's just this. You know, for a lot of people, it's a little off the map experience. But she she liked that, and she was also into the um, sushi. You know, for her that meant like a you know spicy tuna roll and stuff like that. But um, so you know, I've done that with her before, and I really enjoyed the food. So when it came time, you know, I've done a lot of moving around, and um, I decided 
for some reason, I was really drawn to, I wanted to work in a restaurant when, I, when my life had really taken me in all these other directions. And uh, the first restaurant I applied at was uh, a Japanese restaurant. And it, I, my thinking on so, it... So if there was a French restaurant that had an opening and you yeah. may have applied there, this may never have happened? Or do you think you were going to get there anyway? I mean, there's no telling, right. but, you know, there's, they say there's so that always was, those alternate... Uh, that was the, what we're calling on this show, right? That was the right yeah. at the fork, that yeah. opportunity at that Japanese restaurant, because otherwise, who knows? Yeah, it was, and the strange thing is I, I applied to be a waiter. I really wanted to do the service side, and, you know, I was thinking it was more, it was more of a high-end restaurant, because mm -hmm. the price points are high, things like that, but the issue I didn't really think about was I was too young, so they made me, like, this busboy dishwasher guy, and then... It, you know, it wasn't long before so you're in the, the kitchen. Yeah, before they sucked me into the kitchen, and that's where, and it's just something I did, and I got used to. It. I was learning things, and it was interesting to me. And then I think I went on doing it for probably a good year or two, where and sometimes it was just kind of like this crummy job where like you know, well, it's really cool. I like the food and stuff like that, but you know, the chef just makes me sweep. You know, like do a lot of these menial chores. Like I only get to touch this, I only get to touch that. And... Probably good experience for you, though. I mean, it's, hum it's a, it's humbling. Yeah. And now it makes you appreciate it from your side, running a restaurant. So. Yeah. Well, there's that, and then I also realized it was the only way to learn. Right. You know, like you know, why am I just doing this rice every? You know, like why am I doing rice every day? Like why is everyone else leave for break and then they make me sweep the floor? You know, like why, why do I got to carry all this stuff? Why do I got to? do this, what I got to polish, you know. But and you, you have those answers now. Yeah, now I know, but at the time, as like a, you know, 17, 18 year old kid, I was, yeah, I was like, well, you can sucks. have that attitude anyway. <laughs> if they were launching you to the moon, why am I the guy who has to yeah. go to the moon? Why? So that's the 17, 18 year old. 18 year old. So you're at, um, you're cooking at a high end, and pardon me again, the name of the restaurant before you got, that springboarded you to Portland? Oh, where, uh, Sushi Den in Denver? Yes, oh, yeah. that, that, that was the one. That... Uh, no, I mean, I worked with already three other chefs before I got to Sushi Den. Right, okay. But yeah, Sushi yeah. Den was your last gig in Denver. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's the one. Yeah, that, and that's the most That's formative. the one that kind of gave you the most formative. Okay. Yeah, yes. definitely. Um, yeah, Toshi, the, the owner chef there, he was, uh, in a, I mean, definitely like a kitchen father figure to me. Like, biggest uh, mentor influence, you know. Are you still in touch? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, we don't talk as much as we used to, but... Uh, All right, so you're reading the blogs, and uh -huh. you somewhere, I guess, saw about Portland, saw some... No, right? I, I wanted to go to these, I wanted to go to other markets. I wanted to experience, you know, I was thinking, um, I had really have any interest in, like, New York or anything like that, but West Coast. So, you know, I went out to, did the LA thing. I saw so much going on in San Francisco. It just seemed like West Coast, in terms of quality of life as well, it's, I just had this idea. So, um, yeah, I started putting my resume out there and stuff like that. And I was getting, you know, hit backs, doing tastings. Um, had a chance to move up to Vancouver, B.C. As a teenager, I'd been up in the Northwest. So, like, Vancouver was pretty much ideal. Like, mm -hmm. Vancouver, Seattle, you know, I was like, yeah, Seattle's good. I had a couple little uh, opportunities in Seattle. And then Portland, I had, it's actually funny, because I was, then I started looking at Portland, Seattle, Vancouver as the, kind of my destination. And the idea was that it looked to me like um, they had a lot of uh, like similar climate to Japan in some ways, um, you know, certain parts of Japan anyway. Um, in terms of like when, when I see local ingredients coming up, I'm like, oh, look, that's a, you know, that's like a Japanese ingredient. And some of them are wild and things like that. So I got really excited about uh, the possibility of like things you'd find in the forest and like these ingredients and farms and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So the, that I had my 
sight set on the Northwest for sure. And probably also people that appreciate all that too. Yeah. Uh, uh, that are looking for that. So you're cooking for a pe- uh, receptive audience. Right. And a yeah. knowledgeable audience. Yeah, I was hope, you know, hoping for that. Right. That. But, you know, I started talking with a lot of people about the Northwest and then I'd meet people from Seattle coming into Sushiden and, you know, doing the omakase there. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then a lot of the feedback I got was like, don't, oh, don't go to Portland. That's like JV Seattle, you know, or, you know, things like this. So this, this but this is the perspective of a lot of these Seattle. And what year was this? This wasn't long ago. No, that was probably about 2007. Oh, okay. So it yeah. was a while ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's like JV Seattle. So um, then I got this opportunity in Jackson Hole where basically... I, it'd be real, real easy, like for me to shift over, the the pay and all that was pretty much the same as to run this two hundred twenty seat beast, but it was only forty seats. Um, There's really nothing to limit me from just doing crazy food, a lot of experimentation and playing around stuff like that. So it seemed, even though I don't, I didn't know if Jackson Hole made a whole lot of sense, the opportunity uh, made a whole lot of sense, and it was really beautiful up there. And then uh, what I remember telling uh, Elena was. Well, if we, you know, if let's say we do that, we're like, we're already kind of a little closer to the Northwest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's a step. It's, it's a shorter uh, mm-hmm. move from there. You know, so um, did that. The whole thing, you know, didn't really pan out so well. But you know, in the end, because we ended up needing to leave Jackson Hole. So, so you're in Jackson Hole. What got what got you to Portland? What was the impetus for that? So the those guys shut down the you know we did this kind of like high end restaurant there was like Didn't hanging debts you know there's hanging debts they life changes and then so they were like you know we're just we took a little break because um, we get like we had like a month vacation during the mud season uh, they they're like you know sorry you know I'm moving to London Baird's getting a dis- you know divorce uh, we're gonna pull the plug on this baby sorry guys you know okay. so with that and. So it's basically like, okay, great, we're up here in Jackson Hole. You know, I don't have a ton of job options. You know, you know, working on the ski lift or whatever. So uh, <laughs> and you don't need your knife up there. <laughs> exactly. So I was thinking about we we just needed to move on, find some other options, and then it then I started like peeping out Portland, and I, I think I just read some kind of article in um, what was the name of that magazine? There was like some kind of major magazine that's now um, defunct. That, there are a lot of those, but yeah. I'm trying to, uh, not gourmet or maybe yeah, I think it was gourmet. Okay, and they had this really cool uh, spread on Portland, mm-hmm. and I don't remember who the chefs were. They were featuring some of the local chefs and like talking about this collaborative spirit, and you know, and they showed a lot of shots from the town and all that stuff. And I was like, man, like Portland actually looks like super cool, you know. So when I was looking at my Craigslist ads now, I was like looking at Portland, you know. So. We need to get out there. There was actually a couple, a little like consulting kind of thing I did to kind of do a new restaurant that was launching out there for a while. Um, but the, the move was inevitable. So uh, I was looking at Portland, San Francisco, L, you know, even LA, so on and so forth. And um, I noticed that uh, Bamboo Sushi was looking for people down in uh, San Francisco. So I, you know, if they're looking outside of Portland and San Francisco, then they're probably open to people from other spots. So. Mm-hmm. Got in touch with them. Um, they wanted me to come out. They said, you know, come on out. Let's do a let's do a little demo. Let's do an interview. You know, see how we fit. But uh, we'd already kind of packed up the house. So uh, and the I timing had timing was okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had a U-Haul scheduled, and the U-Haul was uh, actually we decided to head down to L.A. because nothing else was panning out in this kind of short time frame. So, you know, you have to give them a destination for U-Haul. I told them L.A. 
then I ended up talking to these guys, and so I called U-Haul people back, and I was like, Now we're going to a different place. Let's Can take this to, off there? Yeah, no, granted, I was really just going for an interview, but I was right. like, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to change the destination to Portland. So the idea was bring the truck in, grab a storage facility, quickly unload, you know, get it all in storage, and then, you know, go, go uh, meet with these guys and see what happens. Uh, former Masu East thing, and they were going, this uh, sustainability, the sustainability model, which was, you know, it's a great thing anyway, but it's like super hot at the time in terms of like a kind of a buzzword. It uh, caught on pretty quickly. Yeah. Bamboo did, did something no one else was doing that I knew of. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. It was like super hot. And uh, doing that, and I think they had a, you know, they, had, they, had, they were popular already, you know. They had a line out the door, and I think the idea was to kind of grow the brand and, um, you know, start delivering. You know, start like doing, you know, bringing in some better ingredients and... So what did it take from there to the idea for Notoguro? Well, the first idea for it was, um, you know, coming to Portland, I was getting paid considerably less than I was anywhere else. Lower cost of living, though. Yeah. Supposedly. I guess, yeah. That's changing. Yeah, That's it's, changing it's definitely changing. But, yeah, the, the, the salary was not impressive in any way. So, uh, at any of the things I did. So, I was definitely motivated to, um, you know, do other things and check out other... Other, Especially when you have children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the salary can't stay the way it is for, for yeah. very long. So, you know, try to do little little upgrades here and there. I I spoke with uh, Michael Madigan, the kitchen crew. Um, I think kitchen crew had pretty recently opened. I shot him a couple emails. So the idea I had was I wanted to use that chef's counter. and um, A little bit like Holdfast. What Holdfast exactly, what Holdfast ended up doing. Right. Oh, that was before Holdfast. Yeah, okay. this is, I, it was, I think kitchen crew, as far as I know, hadn't, been open very long. This okay. Is, I don't remember what year this was, but it was. I'd only been in Portland for probably about a year. Okay. And uh, so I shot him an email, and then I came down and looked at the space, and it was. I thought it was perfect. They had like a dining room thing in the back, but the the truth was that I didn't know who would come to dinner. You know, like it was my guess. This was about like three deep or something. So, um, and then the cost of doing the dinner I, at the time, it was. I was like, I'm just not ready. You know, I just. It's, you you probably just had to look at it as for a while as startup costs and yeah. investment and marketing, just getting yourself going because you're not going to make a lot. Right. right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're not going to make, you know, anything or whatever, but um, just even having the money to write the check to do that right. you know, in the first place. And you didn't know how many people are going to show up. If you knew yeah. you have full houses every night, that's one thing. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I was even like trying to get people to like come down from Seattle for dinner because um, I had done a little consulting gig for this uh, karaoke box lounge. You know, so I did their first little like snack menu and they were great, great people. And um, so I was trying to get them to come down, I was trying to get people to come out from Denver. And I was just thinking like, I need to get like 10 people. But at the time, like being so new to Portland, it was pretty much impossible. You know, it just looked like a huge gamble. Well, you, yeah, it was a gamble. You didn't know. Yeah. Could have worked after a few weeks just to spark the right, you know, you, yeah. get, you get Gary coming in uh, and he tells Karen Brooks and then the next <laughs> thing you know. And so that's... Right. But, you know, at the time I didn't, you know, didn't know any of those guys or anything like right. that. Right. Like, you didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. So, so um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of getting the world. And then also I was... Um, at the time, like I, I've gotten into social media a, a touch, you know, so like I do the Twitter and the Instagram now, but at the time, I literally Didn't did know. nothing. I, you know, and I had one of those little well, flip Plus it wasn't just developed the... then, so back then. So yeah, now... it was super new. Right. And I wasn't interested in it. Right. And, it uh, takes a while to realize yeah. that you, why you'd have interest. <laughs> All right, so I want to talk a little bit more about Notoguro and how you yeah. did it. 
So I don't know the relationship with Phantom Rabbit Farm, but that was the impetus. A lot of this, yeah. your relationship with them. Well, the way it started was um, uh, Mark, Mark and his girlfriend Melissa. Melissa had a background in organic farming, uh, Salve Island Organics. Mark uh, and Mark who? Uh, Mark Wooten. So Mark has worked different places. I've been in more of a chef role. So he and I met at Bamboo. Mark was uh, cooking back in the kitchen, and I was doing the sushi side. And then um, I went from there, and then when I changed over from there, Mark came with me. So Mark's worked with me like in the kitchen as a cook, probably like two or three, you know, two or three times. He kind of revisits, does other things, and then comes back. Well, um, Melissa was had a background in organic farming, and she was always talking about like let's you know doing like a little farm project, and. Mark, you know, I think was really enthusiastic and he always encouraged her like, hey, let's, why don't we, you know, I think one thing they did, they moved out to Sherwood and they, there was this old plot of land, like, let's do a little uh, piece out here. So there's all these ideas for them to do this kind of farming thing. And then finally they found a plot on a, an, it's a rather large uh, cattle farm. It's up in uh, Northwest Portland. It's a... Uh, tilt certified, everything like that. And they have, uh, now they, I think they have like an acre and a third. And so they finally did it. They pulled the trigger. They found a way to, you know, you lease your space of your piece of land for a relatively cheap amount for the year. And then you can do your, as long as you're going organic, you can do your thing. So were you a built-in, was this? I was their yeah. only built-in client. Right, I think, at the time. And so, it was great. And it helped you to develop your concept to know that you had a place to source yeah. everything. You're... Well, they started actually um, the year before I did it. And so, well, yeah, you got to grow it a little yeah, bit to have it and, available. And so Mark had said, you know, like, hey, if I, if I plan, you know, I got, I'd love to plan a bunch of stuff for you, you know, mm -hmm. like things you'd love to use. And so we kind of did this rough kind of like he more went through the Kitazawa catalog and then ran a bunch of stuff by me. I was like, yeah, let's do it. So then, I, you know, there's, it was great. It was like got some few things to play with and was looking at things. I think I already learned a lot in the first year. And then when it came time when I wanted to start the uh, Nodogudo, um, which Nolugu, I decided to name it that. It means black throat, which based on this, uh, it's, it's the name of a kind of regional name for like a really kind of highly prized fish. But the first name I had for the project was actually Mr. Miyagi. But I thought, you know, I was like, I don't know, kind of going back and forth. <laughs> did you have consult? Did, did you throw it out amongst friends to ask them? Yeah, pretty much everyone told me Mr. Miyagi's really stupid. So. <laughs> well, that, when pretty much everybody tells you stupid, that's when you go with it as a creative See, person. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Okay. So I'm gonna start calling Mr. Miyagi from from here on in because that was the yeah that was the first idea. Yeah. And, but um, so for the second year, and I, by the way, I love you the way you pronounce all the Japanese things because I'm, mine sounds so Americanized. <laughs> everything I say, you know. So it's, well, that's the reason I mentioned the Mr. Miyagi thing is because that was uh, Nodoguro, is right, and then you can just pronounce it phonetically Nodoguro, mm -hmm. right? When I'm doing will calls at places for pickups and stuff, it's like it's such a nightmare every time. Like it, there's this one place in particular they have a big speaker where they call out to the floor and you pick up your, your seafood. And I go in there every time, the guy would, he's like, uh, kind of, oh, he'd like see me, he's like, okay. And he'd pick up the invoice, he'd read the top line, and then he'd like, kind of take this deep breath, look back, and then he'd be <laughs> it's like. Not that hard. <laughs> and then it'd be like, not a guru. And then like, you know, new da guru, you know, and then just like, every time it's like, oh my God. 
Well, yeah, at least like... you knew it was you. There was no, it wasn't like, John, pick up your stuff. So yeah. you had to not only um, have a relationship with Mark, but I imagine at Bamboo Sushi, you learned where you could source your fish, the best places to source your fish. Yeah, I mean, well, I think what the biggest thing I learned at Bamboo Sushi was because I'd been watching the, you know, the the best choice, you know, the kind of sustain the movement of sustainable fishery, fisheries going on there. And so watching Bamboo, I, I thought it was really cool. When I started there, I was like, I, seriously, I told like a, a lot of people in the industry kind of look at it other ways. But when I started there, I was like, I thought it was really cool um, that they're following those scientific guidelines when sourcing their fish. And they're making it their reason for being, really. Yeah, it wasn't exactly. Just, it wasn't just a great sushi restaurant. It was right. to teach people about sustainability as yeah, well. Yeah, and that's great. And I think, like, you know, figuring out how to balance the two experiences is, you know, that's, like, the biggest trick with that. The best thing with the concept is that when you have a question, your concept can give you the answer. So for them, so I thought it was really cool for them because, you know, you have a question, your concept will give you the answer. Right. Okay, should we use this? No, use this. You know, and it kind of... If you have something like strong like that, sustainable seafood, then it pretty much guides most of your decisions. And I think that's that's great. So like the, the meal we had last night, you had some fish sourced from the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, what quickly, how, what's, and it probably isn't a quick conversation, but right. what did you have to go through to get all the fish that we normally don't have in Portland to, to do an amakase like you did last right. night? Well, see, that's the tricky thing is like, you know, you can follow some of the guidelines um, with um, in terms of the, the sustainability options. But um, the fish we were using last night, like I wouldn't really feel, be feel comfortable doing that kind of omakase because a lot of sustainable stuff, it's, um, you know, some things is great and I can use some of those items for this because they're, they're fresh, they're, they're line caught and that's, that's what makes them sustainable. Mm-hmm. Way. But then there's a lot of things that are kind of like uh, pre-processed with the harvest, they're vacuum sealed, frozen, and you know, then that's how you get it. And then you have this stream, and then it goes through certification, so you can follow the supply chain, whatever. So a lot of fish we're using last night. I think it follows a lot of the guidelines of um, the way I look at it, of of being kind of like a smaller fish. So we're not using any bluefin tuna, you know, you know, farm-raised yellowtail, or like the, the the cardinal sins, you know, or unagi even the farm-raised unagi. Last night we were serving the sea eel, the anagol, and that's a a poached one so but to, what we have to go through is um I'm, I'm incorrectly identified that on my instagram by the way i call it unagi so that's what i knew and i was about four sakes in so yeah yeah so but yeah it's on noggle but right. it's another type of uh eel it's yeah, delicious. not as uh great i'm glad you like it it's it's you know people prefer the unagi generally and i think that's one of the things like st- struggling with the um, sustainability thing is once again it's expectations people People have gone up becoming familiar with sushi, and the things they love most a lot of times are like Atlantic farm raised salmon, um, bluefin tuna if you're at that kind of spot, and the unagi. And the unagi, I mean, unagi's are, it's, we're in deep trouble with, with the, really? with the it's unagi. It's too bad it's so good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an extreme tragedy, but. And there are going to be lots of tragedies as time goes on, from what I'm reading. It's yeah. just going to be, you know, there has the scares, I don't know, just generally reading about sustainability and seafood out there. There are species that are gone within yeah. the next 10 years mm-hmm. and, and more so. So that's scary. So Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's great if people become more conscious of that and care about it. Yeah, that, it's going to take a while till enough people are oh, conscious definitely. about it to make 
a difference, I think. So you're coming up on your one year yeah. anniversary. Yeah. What have you learned? What has been the most surprising thing about having your dinners? Uh, what have you learned that going forward that you didn't expect to have learned? The, the coolest thing has been um, just looking at the evolution of what my original idea of, of what it was and then how it's evolved kind of, it, kind of organically on its own. So I had a certain plan and then if, looking back on my plan, um, you know, like we were talking about, I was like, I made the seed plan with uh, Mark and Melissa at Phantom Rabbit. And then the cool thing is that Julie's like, taste them in a rapidly changing menus is just like this kind of culinary expression, um, do, trying to do something truly different with Japanese food. Um, you know, it's like not, doesn't fall into these other categories that we're familiar with. And, uh, you know, something more uh, familiar, something more personal to, to where we are right now, time and place. And so that's what I was fixated on. And then it's just the looking back on it, the the biggest the evolution has been really the the relation with the guests and with the dining room so you know we've met so many great people over the last year that you know become great friends and uh you know some of them they do you know do little things here and there for because they want to contribute to uh you know what's going on with with our project and it's like that community was that that's the biggest unexpected evolution so how much of uh, did you start uh, the business with Paul in mind as helping you with pairings and so forth? No, not at all. Like, I, I started the business uh, hoping that Paul would come to dinner, you know. Oh, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Paul came to our first dinner. Paul Willenberg. Yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah, that, so that was great. That was my, that was the way I first saw that. And then the way, so like the, the, the beverage side of things, the way that happened was it was part of the way I set up the, the dinners, like taking over the space. So people would have open space and then... I'd contact them, be like, you know, you're closed Monday, Tuesday. Mm -hmm. You know, lights are off. Why don't I, you know, of course I'll leave it just like I found it, but why don't I come in here, do my dinner, mm -hmm. and then I'll pay you to use your space when it otherwise just be kind of sitting there. And then the next, the next layer on that was, um, or you could have one of your bartenders hang out, open your bar up, and you know, we'll still provide the service side, but um, you know, we can derive you, some revenue from the yeah, bar. Exactly. You just keep all, all yours. keep all the revenue. Exactly. And so it made. You know, so from an owner's perspective, my thinking was that um, people would be a little bit more motivated to. Yeah, definitely. I was like, I was really, really pleasantly surprised how open-minded people were to that. But I mean, from like the way I was thinking, from owner perspective, I have this place. I don't want to operate it on these two days for whatever reason. You know, I can I can guess what the reasons are. But if I just pay one employee and then I just keep all the bar revenue plus someone's paying me a little bit to use the space, then mm -hmm. it seems like they might be a little bit more inclined to actually let you do your thing. So I kind of follow that, that setup. So like a lot of the space, the space I would use, they would be taking in the bar revenue. Yakuza, we did that, we did one over there. And then, um, yeah, same kind of deal. And then they, but it was just interesting because then they, they had some sake, they had some like signature cocktails and stuff going. And then um, the next version was basically Pasta Works. A couple wines by the glass, sake by the bottle, you know, simple, simple thing like that. And so, I just noticed that, um, you know, in, as I took over the space, um, talking with uh, Kevin and Kay, while I'm in the owners, they were, they were telling me, you know, well, you know, ultimately, let's do it like this, but then, you know, as you take over the space, then just do your own, you do your own beverage thing. And it was like, all the thinking that was going into the project, like, doing like the decor pieces, the menu changes, um, just figuring out the best logistics of the service and like, you know, reacting, you know, um, interacting with the community and whatnot. It just, the beverage thing to me was just like, not on my list of priority. It, it was just like something like, I know people want to have beverages, 
Um, I would even be cool with just BYOB. It was just something I didn't want to put any energy into because of the fact that it was seriously a very little priority at the time. And I really mm -hmm. liked the setup of other people making the, the beverages. The people who really, and by the way, it's not your expertise. So why exactly. tap into this? Uh, there's a yeah. lot of expertise in Portland. It's easy to do. Yeah. So we're really running short on time. I just want to, cool. so what do you have planned on uh, for the next, are you looking for the next year? What yeah. might be new for, for what? Well, what's really cool, cause we've done, we're almost one year in and mm -hmm. then it's, so April is the first month we did a dinner. And so for this month's menu, um, there's a couple dishes that I've taken little kind of kind of shots from of my first menu and it's like I was devastated but honestly I was devastated by the dinner I thought we did such a terrible job and it was just they, everything was awful um, but there was a couple dishes that I thought you know looking back on it were there was some pretty good creative ideas going into it so I've taken a couple of those dishes and then I, but I've noticed like this very specific evolution of uh, the style and uh, the feel of the project Mm -hmm. So I just, after, you know, I'm looking at this kind of one year evolution in terms of like the way things look, the way things feel. I'm talking about like in terms of like now we have like a, some little improvements to our mm -hmm. dining room and, and whatnot. Then I look at the, at the dishes and... Um, so you're taking the best of the last year, pretty much everything you yeah, learned. Yeah, and then I'm seeing like what, you know, what this next year's, you know, evolution looks like. And, uh, you know, at some point it's right now we're, you know, pretty expensive restaurant. And then there's also the question of like... You know, there's already an accessibility question going on there of like, bring it to the price point it's at. Because the way I'm looking at it is, you know, Urasawa is $350 per person. So for me, like that, that certain scale of cuisine, um, there's already an accessibility issue, but then there's another, you know, there's still like another layer, like, you know, how do we get to the point where we can take a certain number of walk-ins and, mm -hmm. and things like that? So. Well, that's... And you'll figure those out as you go. Yeah. But you're, you're full, anyway, as it is. And yeah. did it help? Have you noticed a little difference in reservations since you got a little James Beard recognition? I don't, I don't know if I saw a direct uh, improvement from that one. And that's, by the way, for a guy who just a minute ago was telling me you thought you sucked in the beginning, only a year in to your, what you, you have a lot of experience, but you have a year in with Notoguro, um, that's pretty awesome. To, you must have felt pretty good to get oh, that nomination. That was blown away. Yeah, well, that's great. So who, who are uh, some of the people in Portland who are doing some things that are blowing you away now? When you get a chance to get out, you got two yeah. kids, and um, probably not that often, but well, I am, I, you know, Portland coffee blows me away. So uh, you know, I love Sterling, uh, Cova. You know, I can go on Barista. But I, I, generally, those are the spots that find me. Spella downtown for something different. I love, you know, when I, I don't get down there very much anymore, but when I get a chance to drop in on Spella, it's like totally different than this kind of eclectic Northwest style. So, love all that. Um, thing I just realized the other day is, you know, I, it's, it's kind of become a habit, but uh, Tails and Trotters. First of all, like if I use, if I'm doing a di dinner and I have pork on the menu, like I'd love, I love their stuff. I use it and it's beautiful, but, um, I, I'm starting to go to pork there all the time and get these uh, the Reuben. And the way that happened was I was I would stop by, I'd pick my daughter up from school, swing by Tails and Trotters, do my pickup, and then one time I got her a Reuben while we were waiting. Hey, give me that. Yeah, she, <laughs> she loved it. And then now it's like I pick her up from school and she's like, do you have to, you know, like pretty much once a week, she's like, do we have any meat we need to go pick up or anything? <laughs> I'm like, do you want to go? She's like, yeah. Yeah, that place is very cool, and they have a lot of good sandwiches. But just to 
the variety that oh, they yeah. have in there. The stuff, they're doing great stuff over there, and it's like, I think a lot of people forget, you know, that they, they're making these awesome sandwiches and prosciutto and... So I was out last last night. I threw a couple. I threw a question out on my Instagram, which is at Portland Food ADV, mm-hmm. and uh, asked people what they might want to ask you. Okay. And uh, a couple of questions we got were: um, or one was your last meal ever. If I'm sitting here with a gun and I'm about to execute you, but I'll wait a day. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. would your last meal be? First of all, probably if I had to abbreviate it, I'd start with a really nice baguette, some beautiful cultured butter, and some. You know, a big bowl of salmon roe, ikura, and uh, that would probably be perfect right there. That'd be good. Cool. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, and this was uh, this was a lot of fun, and it was really cool last night cool. having yeah. the experience of you on one side of the table and and yeah. I'm being on the other, and then getting to talk about it this morning. Hey, thanks so much for coming. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. I'll be back. So, Notoguro dot com. Let's no, spell that out. It's no, yeah, nodoguro, N-O-D-O-G-U-R-O-P-D-X dot right. com. See, there you go. Yeah. And uh, and then your Twitter and Instagram are... So Twitter? Thinking. Well, actually, well, you no. you've got I, your I, own, too, Ryan Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah. So we have, you have the nodoguro PDX Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I'm sorry to have made this so complicated, but... No. And then my Instagram is Ryan Roadhouse, one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter... This is where it gets complicated. Is Ryan underscore Roadhouse? Okay. And then I started the the Nodoguro Twitter much earlier, so that's uh, Nodoguro underscore Pop. At that's the uh, Twitter handle. Ah oh, man, that's a lot to take in. Thanks, yeah, that's thankfully a lot. it has reverse, <laughs> so they can do it. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Right, the fork is recorded in the beautiful studios at Alpha Media and expertly sound engineered by Court Johnson and produced by me, Heather Jones. If you want to find us, we are on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. We love ratings and reviews, so thank you to those who have done that, and please, we hope you'll continue to do so. You can find us at portlandfoodanddrink.com and portlandfoodadventures.com and, of course, right at thefork.com, discoverportland.net, and now at foodcartsportland.com. Lots of great places to find us. We're also on Twitter, Food Podcast PDX, and of course, Facebook as well. Also on our website, we now have a donate button. So if you enjoy the podcast and want to see it continue, please donate and thank you so much.